Lord Jesus, we just pray now that you will uh, anoint Richard to bring your word, to speak out boldly, Lord, to feel your uh, hand on him. Lord, we pray that you open our ears, that we hear what it is you have to say. Lord, that you open our hearts, that we can receive from you. And Lord, that you just uh, adjust our attitude so that when we hear, we don't just hear, but we obey what we hear. Lord, just bless Richard as he shares. Fill him with your Holy Spirit now, we just pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Good morning. You all all right? This is Daniel. He's my son. I really like him. I'm curious how brave he's going to be up here. Do you want to wave or clap? It's all right. He's not keen. We'll give him back to mum. Go on, straight to the picture of me and, and, and Daniel Andy. Go on. There's a more relaxed picture of Daniel coming. There we go. It's uh, dad and son time. It's milk in his cup. It's milk. Yeah. I'm just reminded this morning, I'm going slightly off tack really, but before we even talk about the Bible, that the relationship God has with us and the picture he gives us in the Bible is like father and son. And um, I don't know how often you feel that you're kind of in that position with Father God or whether you're bound by a load of rules and regulations and can't get close enough, not accepted. I I don't know, that gets me quite most of the time, probably, to be honest. (laughs) And um, I saw that picture uh, when I was looking for one of me and Daniel and I thought, yeah, he doesn't seem worried whether I'm welcome to accept him or not. And uh, I've got another picture as well, Andy, go on. Uh, That's, oh no, nearly. That's me with my dad um, when I was four, Hannah's age. And um, once again, I think that's just a picture of maybe what I'd... I have it by my bed, that picture, and I just wish that my relationship with Father God could feel even 1% of that. Um, Anyway, get rid of the soppy pictures. (laughs) I've... um, I had some news about a friend this morning who's been in an accident last night, and um, he's not very well. And I've asked a few people to, to pray for him this morning, and um, we continue to pray for him. He's not a Christian, and we pray that God will do something and touch him, and that A, he gets better, and B, he might get to know God in the process. And I don't know, it shook me up a bit, so bear with me. Um, let's read some Bible. I'm going to go to Matthew 22, verses 36 to 40, and Andy's going to put them on the screen so you don't have to look them up. Honestly, that's what it says in the Bible. We haven't changed it. Uh, This is uh, the Pharisees trying to trip Jesus up. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on to these two commands. Andy, I'm ringing a bit. Could you turn the bass down, just turn it down a little? Distracts me. (laughs) Easily distracted in everything. Uh, Right. 
Let's get going now. I've been asked to speak this morning on the authority of the Bible. Now, I was a little puzzled, wasn't I, Graham? I said, really? Are you sure? Is that really what you want? I'm not a theologian or any kind of Bible scholar. I'm not a historian, and I don't have any training in ancient languages. I can't come and give you details of how the Bible was put together, who picked which books go where, exactly when it happened, and how they were passed on through the generations until that point. Um, I'm definitely not the person to come and do apologetics on how accurate the Bible is, or why it was passed down accurately, or why it's exactly what God wanted it to say or isn't. Um, But interestingly, Graham asked me to speak on the authority of the Bible. So rather than try and give you any of that that I don't know about, I'm going to talk about my own experience of the Bible and not try and give you a lesson that you might get in Bible college about the Bible. There's other people here who are much better equipped. I considered a a show of hands of everybody better equipped than me, but it would be embarrassing for me, so we'll uh, stick with that. Um, But I'd like you not to forget the pictures you've seen and forget that the context of where we're going to end up when we get to the back of the page in a very short amount of time uh, is childlike faith and approaching God like a child. And I guess the the perspective of that on reading the Bible is as difficult as the Bible might be, and I'm really going to highlight that in a minute, so don't get put off by that, is that if we read the Bible with an open mind and if we ask God to speak to us by his Holy Spirit, then he does. It's that simple. You don't need to be a Bible scholar or a theologian or understand ancient Greek or Hebrew. And uh, God speaks through his word, and that's what makes it powerful. Uh, Not just what the words themselves say, which at times are confusing, but God speaks through them. And if you ever notice when you read the same passage at different times, it's like it says something different entirely. It's the Holy Spirit. In my head... I think I know an awful lot about the Bible. Lots of Bible stories, lots of what God is like. Um, But probably a lot of the things I think I know about the Bible are things that I've been taught by others, uh, be it on uh, a video, be it a book, be it teaching in church, be it Sunday school when I was young. I reckon, I don't know as a percentage, but most of it has been taught to me rather than I've been and found it myself in the Bible. I don't know if you've got things in life that you've been taught about but have never experienced. Mark, can I talk about you liking blue whales, or is that a secret? (laughs) Mark really likes blue whales. Do you know quite a lot about blue whales, Mark? Yeah. There's lots of superlatives. Uh, You've seen pictures of them? You've seen a diagram of how big they are? Yeah. <laughs> and where I'm going with this, and the point that I'm making is that for all that Mark knows about blue whales, and as amazing as he thinks blue whales is, I suspect he might be a bit like David Attenborough or more if he actually saw one. The reality would be so much more than the description or the storytelling of other people's experiences of blue whales. And I hope one day you see a blue whale alive. He's not so sure. (laughs) And I think it's a bit like that with the Bible. We hear a lot about it, but we don't necessarily dig into it ourselves always. We let somebody else feed us. And um, if we dug into the Bible, we might find it's not exactly what we'd understood. It's much more than what we'd understood about it. However, 
the Bible's probably one of the most difficult books that I ever try to read. It raises more questions than answers regularly. Um, and when I go looking for an answer in it, uh, I, I find questions. I don't find clear-cut answers. It's not that kind of book. It's just not written that way, and we'll come back to that. Uh, lots of people through my life, maybe through Sunday school and things, and have said, you know, it's a handbook to live by and everything else, and we'll come back to that. I'm not so sure. Uh, I'm not being heretical, I'll explain. Uh, I've allowed the Bible to, to kind of, you know, as a Christian, I've, I've kind of allowed myself to believe that being a Christian is about behaving a certain way or learning a way of behaving and making other people Christians is making them behave how I'd feel comfortable with them behaving. And uh, clearly when I go to the Bible, I'm looking for evidence of what this behavior is meant to be. Um, and really, if the Bible was more clear-cut on behavior, then it'd be easier for me to judge others. Uh, so I'd quite like that. I brought with me this morning, if you were to work for me, for David Dexter's, you would get a copy of this, uh, a PDF nowadays, but this is the printed copy from a few years ago of the David Dexter's staff handbook. So if you come to work at David Dexter's, we like to leave things unambiguous and have pages and pages of uh, what to do if you work for us. So we could look in the index, which it has, as the Bible doesn't, and we could say, um, if you're going to have a child and you want to know what happens uh, for maternity leave, you look on page 31, page 31, and there would be a policy on maternity. And it points out what happens, and it doesn't affect your rights, etc. But that's what we choose to do in the case of maternity, to pay, to leave, to notifications, etc. I've had a go at doing the same thing with the Bible. Not for maternity leave, because that's really <laughs> tricky. I had a go with clothing to see what the Bible said about appropriate clothing. And I, I started, I even made a PowerPoint slide with the verses, and it went from the sublime to the ridiculous. I, I mean, is anyone wearing clothes made of more than one type of thread? Yeah, we've all fallen foul of it then. Let's give up on that. Um, but I then turned to the Bible and thought, okay, as a teenager, one of the big issues for me in terms of how to live and things we were taught on lots was uh, dating. So um, if we believe that there's a biblical worldview on any particular issue, then dating has got to be a hot topic. So you might expect the Bible to say, based on behavior that you would like or what you've been taught, that you wait until you're financially secure to uh, pursue a romantic relationship because you should be ready for marriage if you're going to pursue a relationship, that it would be really good to abstain from sex until you're married, um, that maybe it'd be best to date in the presence of friends lest you get tempted, uh, and that all final dating decisions should be deferred to parents. Would you like that, parents? Yes. Um, and that it would be definitely best to honour God uh, in the gender roles in preparation for married life, and the gender roles in this case meaning men will take the lead, women submit regardless. So I then had a look at the Bible to see if I could find uh, substantiating evidence for us. Oh, just bear with me a minute if there's any teenagers in here. I'm not saying those things aren't good. They're good things, mainly. But in reality, I think it would be tricky to give a biblical view of how to date, is what I've decided. In the Bible, people didn't date. That's kind of the first stumbling block. I can't find anything about people dating, really. In Bible times, women were generally sold by their fathers to the highest bidder. That might be quite good if you've got daughters, you're thinking. <laughs> Men were free to take as many wives as they liked. Women weren't always treated so well in the Bible. 
And in the extreme, perhaps even women who've been raped could be required to marry their rapists. So does anybody want the biblical view on dating? The point I'm making is that it's hard to use the Bible like it is my company handbook. If we go to the Bible looking for what the Bible says on, it's not laid out in the way that you would hope, or might have presumed it was laid out. However, there are times that I read the Bible without an agenda and without a preconception as to what it might say on a particular topic. And the amazing thing is, God speaks to me. Not necessarily because of what the exact words on the page say even, but it's what God wants to say. It's amazing. Puzzling. Hence, noticing the different things each time you look at a passage. Um, We've only got 20 minutes, and there's only five of them left today. I don't know how we're meant to do this, really. But the Bible's tricky. I think we've been there. We're not going to examine every chicky bit. We've got genocide. We've got God supporting one group of people and not another. We've got unfairness. We've got all sorts going on. And um, clearly, there's going to be some questions that we need to wrestle with if we're going to be honest about what the Bible says. Um, But I have some favorite bits, and I'm just going to share them with you very, very quickly. I really love Genesis 1 and 2. Before the fall dump the rest of the Bible and say this is what God made and it was good. This was the plan. This was plan A. What about plan the bazillion now? I don't know. (laughs) The story of the Bible is God coming to rescue us after the fall and kind of revision and revision of us trying to get in the way and not allow him to rescue us and it gets closer and closer Um, and we'll talk about Jesus in a minute. I love going to the Psalms and not just cherry-picking Psalms, which is easy to do. If you read the Psalms people always refer to, you'll think the Psalms is a particular type of book. If you read the whole of Psalms, you'll think it's a very different book. There's some good ones that are really depressive, but sometimes they sympathize, they pull out something inside you, and they're honest. They're brilliant. Proverbs has some brilliant wisdom combined with some outrageous sayings. It's just wonderful. Uh, I've always loved Daniel, at least the first half of it growing up. I mean, that's why I've named my son Daniel. I really look up to Daniel. I think the way he lived is amazing, and I'd encourage you to read Daniel uh, and really ask God to help with the second half. The New Testament letters, mainly written by Paul, are absolutely brilliant, but they are a bit trickier because they, they err closer into what we might consider him telling us how to behave. Yet, if you read the letters for yourself, I hate to say it, but you'll see that as Christians and as a church, we really pick and choose. And it's really hard to know what. Sometimes one or two verses apart, we're saying this is one of the most important things to behave like, and we're not even referring to this other bit that we choose to look over. And those are questions we need to embrace and wrestle with. However, at the top of the list, for me, is the Gospels. Um, I'm going to read something from a book very quickly. Um, But what this book goes on to say is that Jesus was God in sandals. And I really like that, because if we want to know what God's really like and what he, what he would do in a situation, and what would Jesus do, what would God do, it's interchangeable. God came to earth as Jesus, and he showed us what he thinks, he showed us what he likes, he showed us what he cares about. Um, so Jesus is God in sandals. I always loved that image, God in sandals. Nothing is quite so absurd or profound as the notion of the great I am walking around with dirt between his toes. I thought about this often as I wrestled with questions about God's nature and doubts about his goodness. I recalled what John said about Jesus in the opening lines of his gospel. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father, 
he has explained him. I wanted an explanation from God, and according to John, the best place is to start with Jesus. If Jesus was really the most complete and comprehensive revelation of the divine, if he was indeed God in sandals, then that means he cared about what God cared about, hated what God hated and loved what God loved. The incarnation gave God a face, and it gave him literal tears, literal laughter, literal hands, literal feet, a literal heart, and a literal mind. What the Spirit of God said and did while living among us in the person of Jesus must say a lot about what matters most to him. So in spite of my doubts, or perhaps because of them, I decided to see if Jesus had the answer. Well, he didn't. You can't get too far into the Gospels without noticing that Jesus made a pretty lousy apologist. I'm convinced he would have flunked out of any halfway decent Christian liberal arts institution. Jesus responded more with questions than with answers. He preferred story to exposition. Despite boasting infinite wisdom and limitless knowledge, Jesus chose not to overtly address religious pluralism, the problem of evil, hermeneutics, science, or homosexuality. He didn't provide bullet point answers for detractors or lengthy explanations to doubters. He didn't make following him logical or easy. And yet I wasn't disappointed. Perhaps it was the surprising relief of getting swept away in the story, but something about Jesus made me ask better questions. last bit from this. If Jesus is God, then God has not forgotten the downtrodden and oppressed of this world. In fact, Jesus had a special relationship with the most forgotten of first century society. Women, tax collectors, sick sick people, minorities, Samaritans and sinners. Jesus welcomed children into his arms and washed his disciples' dirty feet. He took those suffering from leprosy by the hands and surrounded himself with the poor and uneducated. Jesus began his first sermon by explaining not that the poor are unlucky victims of the cosmic lottery, but that theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even when the crowds got so big that people were stepping all over each other, even when the beggars became loud and obnoxious, even when all the neediness and desperation embarrassed the disciples, time and time again Matthew describes Jesus as being moved with compassion. Hopefully you're not just going to listen about Jesus this morning you're not just going to hear about what the Bible says, but that little tidbit might encourage you to dig into the Gospels and see what God's like. We'll go back to where we started with that scripture, which was Matthew 22. And uh, Jesus had just been asked, what's the most important commandment? And if I may paraphrase it, Jesus said, love God and love others. Don't turn it round to say, love God and love yourself lots so you know how to love others, which I've heard said in some places. Love God and love other people. It doesn't say follow a set of rules. God's after relationship. Behaviour comes out of that. Seek relationship with Father God. We've only had 20 minutes today. We might have had them all bar a couple. It's only merely time to scratch the surface. The authority of the Bible could no doubt be years worth of course that I need to go on. So in summary, the Bible has lots of tricky bits that aren't easy or perhaps even possible for us to understand. There is massive value in asking questions about the Bible and not sticking our heads in the sand and thinking that it's all just fine. One day you'll come unstuck and doubt will get hold of you. I don't think there's any problem with questions. Jesus showed us that. You may not get the answer, but be okay with the question.
And while we're just on that, let's have the picture back of me and Daniel. A word on childlike faith. I've heard childlike faith said as just accepting anything, you know, just you're a child, just walk into it, it's fine. Well, I haven't got a picture of Hannah, but Hannah's four and she's a child. And um, anybody who's had any experience with children will find that they don't accept anything at all. They ask bazillions of questions. We were on the train last week and it broke down. And Hannah wanted me to go with her to ask the guard why it had broken. In minute detail. Children embarrass you. You're not going to benefit from the Bible if you don't read it. And uh, I'd say consider starting with what Jesus says himself. When we read the Bible, don't go looking for it to say what you want it to say. Go with an open mind. Ask God to speak to you through his Holy Spirit and to reveal what it is he's saying. And this week, maybe I could pick up the Bible a little bit more often than I do. And maybe I could not make it a chore or an activity to tick off a list or I've done my Bible reading. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm feeling okay because I've read enough. Don't make it about quantity. Make it about quality of relationship. So I'm going to pray for myself, and if anyone wants to join in by saying amen, they can. Yeah, Father, I just pray that you give me a fresh revelation of your word, of the Bible that you've given us. I don't understand it all, God. I don't know how it all got to us. But I know that it's amazing and that you do amazing things through it, and it tells us the story of your wanting relationship with your people. Help us remember that we're kids, we're not scholars trying to have an argument with you. We're not trying to kind of become Christians by understanding. We've got lots of questions, God, and we trust you to answer them in the right time and in the way that we can palate. This week, God, I pray that you give me a new revelation of your word. Amen.